Second Corinthians chapter 7 tonight as we continue our study of Second Corinthians, which I have subtitled Second Wind, where God uses uh, this book to give a renewed energy uh, to continue what he has called us to do. And, and the thing that I love about this is this book reminds us that this isn't just the Corinthians needing a second wind. That we're going to see here again tonight that the Apostle Paul knew that there were times in his life where he needed a second wind. He, he needed a, a fresh wind from God to blow into his life so that he could keep going because of the struggles that he was going through. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Because I've always believed that, that Paul was one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. And, and if Paul needed second winds throughout his life, then that means you and I do too. And that means that we shouldn't get discouraged whenever we need that second wind. Because all of us are going to need those second wind times in our life. In fact, God wants to renew us, as we've learned in Second Corinthians, every day. And, and, and you and I are prone to discouragement if we don't allow God's daily renewal in our lives. And so hopefully here tonight, this is another opportunity for God to renew us, if you will, to encourage us. And we're going to talk a lot about that because the word encourage is, is found throughout chapter 7. First of all, though, you'll notice in chapter 7, verse 1, Paul starts out with the word therefore, which always when we study the Bible has to point us back to the immediate context. And he goes on to say, therefore, since we have these promises, and I want to stop there, because let's remind ourselves of the promises that we ended last week with. Up in chapter 6, verse 16, God said, I will live in you. God says, I will walk among you. And we talked about the fact that that doesn't just mean walking beside, that means willing to step in it. Whatever that in it is, that God is willing to step in it with us and walk with us in it and through it. And then he goes on to say, I will be their God. I will be their all in all, and they will be my people. Verse 18, another promise. I will be a father to you. That simply means he's going to take responsibility for his spiritual children. And look after us. So Paul then starts out chapter 7 by first of all reminding us, Therefore, since we have these promises, and, and one of the things that will give us second wind every day and encourage us is to take the promises of God and make them our own every day. In fact, I think it would be a great thing for each of us as Christians that before we ever go out the door every day, that we take a promise of God with us every day. That we either every day search the Scriptures to find a promise of God or buy one of those convenient books that's got many of the promises of God all self-contained there and to pull out a promise of God every day and to take it with us because the promises of God are huge. And often we neglect the promises that God has given to His people. So Paul is beginning to build chapter 7 on these wonderful promises that God has given us. And some of them are contained in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Another thing that will give us a second wind, verse uh, 1 of chapter 7, 
As he goes on, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that could defile the body and the spirit and thus accomplish holiness out of reverence for God. The word cleanse there in verse 1 is the Greek word katharizo. It's where we get our English word catharsis from. And the idea there is to literally relieve the tension. And what Paul is simply saying is he's calling us out. He's saying to us as believers that one of the things that's going to give us a second win and one of the things in our lives that's going to to not sap our strength is when we relieve the tension of of trying to to live for God over here and live for ourselves over here. Or as we say it sometimes, I've got one foot in the world, so to speak, doing my own thing. And one, one foot over here trying to walk with God. And, and you and I as Christians, one of the things that's going to continually drain us is when we have those sort of divided loyalties. That's why the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That's why Jesus said, you and I can't serve God and anything else. We, we've got to be like the card player that puts it all in for God at some point in our lives. That's why Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2 said to Christians that there's got to come a point in our life as Christians where we are willing to present our body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you and I may prove what is that acceptable, good, and perfect will of God for our lives. And so Paul here is in a sense calling us out. He's saying it's time to... to to get rid of the tension in our lives. The tension that exists between trying to live for God and trying to live in the world or live for self or please others or whatever that tension looks like and put it all in for God. As Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Make Jesus Christ preeminent in your life. That's what Paul means here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Because when that happens, when that, when that commitment comes, it's not that we won't fail. It's not that we won't struggle. It's, it's not that we're not going to, you know, fall and all of that. But, but at least our minds are going to be singly focused. That, that it's not going to be uh, uh, trying to live this way and that trying to fit into this crowd or this crowd and all that. That it takes unbelievable energy. You and I all know that when you and I find ourselves in seasons of life where we've got to divide our attention, how draining that can be. Where we've got this over here and this over here, or where we're in a, a, a state of transition, and where we still got to do this over here, but now we're also trying to do this. It's draining. And that's why Paul says, let us finally get to the point where we cleanse ourselves from everything that could defile the body and spirit and accomplish holiness out of reverence for God, out of our respect for God, out of our sense of awe for God. Let's do this. Let's do this. And then in chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, he reminds us again about the importance of the right people in our lives. And once again, as he did in chapter 6, he tells the Corinthians, make room for us in your hearts. He said, we have wronged no one, we have ruined no one, we have exploited no one. And he said, I don't say this to condemn you or pass judgment on you, for I told you before that you are in our hearts. We have made room for you so that we die together and live together with you. Paul saying, my relationship with you is inseparable. You, You may not want a part of me, but... I got a part of you. 
in my heart. And that's just the way it is. And, and I think Paul here is just reminding them that if we do this together, we're going to be able to encourage each other. And we're going to see this throughout the rest of this chapter. Paul says, so let's do this together. And, and don't allow those false teachers that have creeped into Corinth who, who are out for themselves and seeking to turn you all in Corinth away from us. Don't let them do that. Because they don't have your best interests at heart. And, and it also reminds me what Paul is saying here. I think Paul is also speaking to any of us, and we've all been at this place probably at times in our life, where we have had human relationships where we were burned, we were hurt. And, and God gets that, and Paul gets that. But Paul's saying to the Corinthians, but we never did that to you. So, so don't close your heart to us. And, and we're all prone to that, that when we've gotten burned, when we've gotten hurt in human relationships, we just simply close our heart up to everything and everybody. And Paul says we can't do that for our own spiritual welfare. That it's okay to be cautious in our human relationships. It's okay to take our time as far as who we allow in and who we feel safe with and all that. Nothing wrong with that. But make sure you at least allow your heart to be open because God, one of the ways He's going to encourage us and renew us is through bringing people into our lives. And if we don't allow our heart to make room for them, then we're going to miss the blessing that God wants to bestow on us and in us through them. So Paul's saying to them, I know you guys have been burned in Corinth in your relationships. But don't treat us as if we were the ones that burned you. That's why he goes saying, we didn't wrong you. We didn't hurt you. We didn't ruin you or corrupt you in any way. We didn't exploit you or take advantage of you in any way. So make room in your hearts for us. Because we have your best interest at heart. And we only want to be in your lives to encourage you in God. With that said, notice verse 4. He says, I have great confidence in you, meaning that he can speak openly and frankly to them. He's holding nothing back here. He says, I take great pride on your behalf. I am filled with encouragement. And don't miss the circumstances of this. He goes on to say, I am overflowing with joy in the midst of of all of our suffering. Don't miss that. Paul, Paul says it's possible as a Christian to be filled with encouragement and filled with joy in spite of what's going on in my life. Because my joy and my encouragement is not based on my circumstances. That's why Paul says even though we are suffering as the apostles right now, intense pressure, and that's what the word suffering means, intense pressure, a pressing in. And there are times in our life, as we've already seen throughout 2 Corinthians, where you and I are going through an intense pressure, or it seems like the world is pressing in on us. And yet Paul says, through God, and through what God is doing on the inside of me, I can still be filled with encouragement and overflowing with joy. Verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, our body had no rest at all. 
He's saying, I wanted, I wanted to be able to relax. I wanted to be able to get some relief. It literally means a loosing. Like, I'm so tight and, and I can't loose. It's for those of you... Uh, that, that deal with stress every once in a while or whatever. Uh, it's, it's especially these muscles back here that can get real tight. You know, those neck muscles and shoulder muscles. When somebody, oh man, you're, you're stressed out, right? When I was going through my battle with anxiety and stress, that, that was the spot right there. It, it was just like real t- There was no loosening. And Paul's saying, even though we went into Macedonia... We were getting no relief, which reminds us that just because we change places, just because we change locations, sometimes we run to another place or another situation thinking that's going to solve our problems when our problems are somehow internal and we're just taking them with us. And Paul said the same thing. He was very human that he went, ran to Macedonia, but the problem was that the same internal conflict that was with him in Troas is now also with him in Macedonia. Notice he goes on to explain it. And I love the fact that the Bible and, and the, the people who were inspired by God to write this, they're, they're sharing a lot of their own conflict here, which is encouraging to us. Because if it was always like, man, they've got their act together and they never struggle and whatever, we wouldn't benefit from this. Part of the reason we benefit from this and we are so encouraged by this is because this is real people who are going through the same kind of struggles that you and I go through every day, every week, every month of the year. We can identify with this. Notice Paul says, we were troubled in every way. It literally means we were being pressed hard upon from many different directions at the same time. It's one thing in life whenever one thing is hitting us. It's another thing when you and I find ourselves in times of life where it seems like four or five things are hitting us and pressing on us at the same time. And then Paul even expands that. He says struggles from the outside. Literally the word struggle means battle or conflict, war. Paul says we're dealing with a lot of stuff coming outside. People, other people, battles conflicts but then he also says there's also fears from within i love the description this word fear here it means put to flight and that's exactly what happens sometimes in our life where we we need to move on we need to move forward but there's that fear where we just want to run away or we want to run back and we don't want to keep going or, or where we know this is what god wants us to do but but we have that fear whether it's coming from us or coming from someone else or whatever. And, and it literally is, we just want to run away. God wants us to keep on going because God does not give us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Second Timothy chapter 1. But Paul was dealing with these things because he was human. But don't miss the next two words of chapter 7 verse 6. That makes all the difference in the world. But God. But God. When any life brings God into the equation, when any life invites God to be a part, it makes a difference. In fact, I've said before, and other Christians, we've talked about this at times, where we we don't see how people who don't have God in their life deal with life. And, and really, when you read the headlines and, 
and, and watch what happens to many people who don't have God in their life, we can begin to understand they don't do very well without God. Because sometimes it's a struggle for those of us who do have God to deal with the struggles of life. But like Paul, there's God. And notice what Paul says about God. That God encourages the downhearted. I love that. If you're here tonight and you are downhearted, you are discouraged. The word in the Greek language literally means low to the ground. If you are low to the ground tonight, if you have come into this room low to the ground, God wants to encourage you tonight. He wants to strengthen you tonight. And God can do that at a level that no human being can do. See, God can meet with you and I at a place inside here, down deep into our heart and soul, and He can encourage us at a level that no one else can. And He can speak to us in a place in our life that no one else can touch. And God tonight is the God of encouragement. And we need to remind ourselves that if we're looking for encouragement, we need to look no further than God Himself. He wants to encourage those who are low to the ground. The psalmist says in Psalm 3, He literally has been in my life the lifter of my head. It literally is the example of someone who's so beaten down that they walk through life with their head down. And the psalmist says, God came into my life and began to lift my head up. Because he didn't want me to go through life with my head bowed. He wanted me to go through life with my head up. He wanted to encourage me. And then notice many times how God encourages us. Not always. But sometimes God not only will encourage us just between Himself and us, but sometimes, again, why Paul wanted them to make room in their lives is because many times the instrument of encouragement that God uses is another human being. Because notice what Paul says, God who encourages the downhearted encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. By the way, I don't think it's an accident that out of all the people who could have come to encourage them, it was Titus. The name Titus means nurse. Now that might not, you know, mean it, but, but nurse to me is, is someone who attends to somebody carefully. And even in Titus's name, it, it implies that Titus, in a sense, was living out his name. He, he, in a sense, was being someone that God could use to encourage the apostles and to attend to them carefully and to strengthen them because they were low to the ground. So notice in verse 7, he says, We were encouraged not only by his arrival, but also by the encouragement or the refreshment you gave him. Begin to see the picture here of the mutual encouragement that God wants to bring into our lives, and many times it's through other people. And why even though we have been burned and hurt in our past by human beings, God does not want us to totally close off our heart, because if we do, then we're going to close our heart to some people in our lives that God wants to send into our lives to encourage us. And that was true 
with Paul. That was true of Titus. That was true of the Corinthians. They all needed encouraged. We all need encouragement. I've never met a human being in my life that ever came up to me and said, Jeff, you can stop encouraging me now. I've had enough encouragement for the rest of my life. I'm all filled up. I'm good to go. I don't know anybody who says, I've, I'm overly encouraged. I don't know anybody like that. We all need encouragement. And part of the reason why God wants to renew us and encourage us is so then we can be used to encourage others. And so tonight, one of the questions I think God would want us to begin asking and answering tonight out of this study of 2 Corinthians 7 is, is there someone in my life right now that I know God wants me to be some kind of an encouragement to? That I know they are low to the ground. They are, as Paul says, downhearted. And maybe God wants to use me to come alongside and encourage them. Now we also know the flip side of that might be true here as well tonight, that maybe you need encouraged. And if you're here tonight and you do need encouragement, I'm just going to ask that you would pray to the God of encouragement to encourage you. I believe if you pray that prayer in faith that God will begin to encourage you because He wants to encourage the downhearted. It is part of His very nature. But the other thing I would encourage you to pray for is this. To be open to maybe somebody coming into your life that God wants to send into your life to be an encouragement to you. And be open to them. Make room for them. So that God can use them to encourage you. See, for many of us as Christians, especially those of us who've been Christians for a while, you know, we, we, get, a, we get our kicks and giggles out of the whole ministry service, you know, doing for others. That, that's, still, that's still sort of, a, in a way, sometimes is a self-serving thing. I'm not saying always, but sometimes, you know, because it makes us good to, to do good for others. But it takes a lot of maturity as a Christian to allow others to serve us and minister to us. And that's just as important. That is just as necessary. You see, if I run into a Christian now who's all about serving others but won't let anybody serve them, that's a danger sign. Because we all need encouragement. We all need somebody in our, in our lives at, at times to, to lift us up and refresh us and strengthen us. And so if we're going to say, no, I'm, I'm past that or I'm beyond that and, and I'm all about serving others, but I don't ever want anybody to dote on me or serve me or whatever, that's only going to hasten our discouragement. It takes a big person to admit No, I need encouragement, and I welcome it, and I'm not ashamed to ask other Christians to pray for me, and I'm I'm not uh, ashamed to reach out and ask for help when I have an extra heavy load that's come into my life. That's a sign of strength. 
That's a sign that, that God, we understand how it works and that we're not trying to carry that load all by ourselves. And that's another point I think Paul is making here. Sometimes in our pride, and that's really what it is, we, we don't want to ask anybody for help. Can I just, and maybe you don't need this, but, but I'm going to do it anyway for maybe somebody out there that does. I believe based upon what the Bible teaches, I'm giving you permission tonight to ask people for help, okay? You have God's permission to ask people for help when you need it. That's biblical. Notice he goes on to say, he reported to us, your longing, verse 7, your mourning, your deep concern, your passion for me, so that I rejoiced more than ever. Because remember, Paul, in the day where we didn't have texting, where we didn't know exactly what the other person was thinking like right away, this is Bible time, so it took a while to find out how things were going with others. So Paul had written this letter to the Corinthians and, and was just waiting to find out. And as the old say, he was in a sense waiting on pins and needles until he found out from Titus, what are the Corinthians thinking? Have they totally just pushed me away? Have they rejected me? Do they want nothing to do with me? So now Paul is so encouraged because now finally Titus has come back, many days journey, And now is able to give this information to Paul to encourage him that no, far from the Corinthians pushing him away, they're longing to see you. They have as much a passion for you as you do for them. Notice now Paul goes into this, verse 8. Even if I made you sad, and the word sad there just simply means to make one uneasy, by my letter, the first letter, I do not regret having written it, even though I did regret it. <laughs> now, that seems like Paul's contradicting himself, but what Paul is simply saying is, if I had to do it over again, I would do it again. But there was a point where, after I did it, it did become a concern to me as to how this was all going to fall out. Not to go into all that the letter said, but basically Paul was saying that the church in Corinth had to deal with some things that they weren't dealing with. And so now that he goes on to say, I see that my letter made you sad, verse 8, though only for a short time. Verse 9, now I rejoice, not because you were made sad, but because you were made sad to the point of repentance. For you were made sad as God intended. That's a key word, repentance. Repentance simply means a change of mind that results in a changed life. And Paul is saying, I'm so glad that God used this letter, this tough love letter to you by me, And that you took it the way I meant it, that you took it the way I think God intended for it to be, to the point where it made you so uneasy that you were willing to change and turn from certain ways. And Paul said, that's good. Because ultimately what that meant was 
You were growing and, and you were now stepping up to do the right thing. But notice he goes on to say in verse 10, for sadness, uneasiness as intended by God produces a repentance that leads to salvation. And that word doesn't just mean the initial time I accept Christ as my personal Savior. It's talking about deliverance of any kind or preservation of any kind, leaving no regret. But notice the contrast. Worldly sadness brings about death. Simply, Paul is comparing and contrasting two different kinds of worldly sorrow or godly sorrow. And he's saying, and we know this to be true, that there are people who are sorry for what they've done only because they're sorry they got caught. There's really no repentance there. If they wouldn't have got caught, they'd still be doing what they're doing. (laughs) When you and I repent... It means that we take the steps in our life to make sure that that doesn't ever happen again. It's more than just being sorry. Just saying to someone, I'm sorry, anybody can do that. But repentance is when you and I and others can see that we are taking steps to make sure that doesn't happen again. That's repentance. And that's what God wants to see in our lives. Because we can all go through our lives just saying, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, I do that all the time. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. God wants to build into our life an uneasiness about that so that it's not, I'm doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. But where I learn to grow past it, and how do I learn to grow past it? Through repentance. Repentance through truly allowing God to change my mind about it so that it changes my lifestyle. And that's why when you and I, even as Christians, we sin, we feel an uneasiness. That uneasiness, that conviction of the Holy Spirit is given to us not as some kind of judgment. It's given to us as a motivation to finally do things in our lives that's going to get us past that once and for all and to move us forward so that we will become all that God created us to be. And God knows that whatever that is, is holding us back from truly experiencing life and enjoying life at its highest level. And so God calls us to repentance. And one of the reasons why this is incorporated into 2 Corinthians at this point is because there is nothing that saps the wind out of a Christian Then a Christian who continues to do the same thing over and over, continues to fail over and over again in the same area and and keeps feeling bad about it, but never truly comes to a point of repentance to be able to get beyond it. God wants us to get victory over it. God wants us to get beyond it. And the way we do that is through repentance. And that's exactly what happened in the church at Corinth. That's why Paul can go on and say in verse 11, you see what this very thing, this sadness, this uneasiness as God intended has produced in you. It had evidence 
Folks, when, when true repentance happens, you and I will see it. Because there will be visible evidence and visible results if somebody has truly repented of it. Because that's what repentance means. And notice Paul lists some of these things. He says, I knew it was real because this sadness as God intended produced something in you. It produced an eagerness, an effort, a diligence. A defense of yourselves in order to do it right. An indignation, an extreme displeasure in the way things had been handled. An alarm, a longing or desire, a deep concern. Which simply means an excitement of mind to do it right with what punishment or meeting out of justice that needed to happen. Paul goes on to say in verse 11, In everything you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So then. Even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong. I didn't write that letter to the one who hurt, who did the hurting in the church. And he says, I didn't even write this letter on the account of the one who had been hurt. The reason God wanted me to write this letter was to reveal to you your eagerness on our behalf before God. In other words, he's saying, God prompted me to write this to see if you would take the instruction I gave you and that you would run after God. That you truly, as a community of believers, wanted to do the right thing once you knew what the right thing was. That you were willing to step up. And Paul is saying, when you and I do that as Christians, when we do that as a community of believers, we get a second win. Because God blesses and shows His favor and shows His approval upon obedience. And so Paul is commending them for stepping up and doing the hard thing, but doing the right thing. Therefore, notice what he says in verse 13 once again. We have been encouraged. We have been strengthened. Because you Christians did it right, you encouraged us. And and, and this is what we're going to talk about for the rest of our time together tonight. Because that's what God is calling all of us to do. To stand up in the church and in the society and in the world in which He has placed us and to stand up and do what's right. And when you and I do that, we don't realize the encouragement that we can be to others. Or when others do that, they might not even realize the encouragement that they've been to us. But that's the way it works within the body of Christ. That when people step up and take courage to do the things that are right, it encourages others. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. When you and I hear of other Christians doing it right, making the right decision in a hard situation, standing up for their faith, standing up for Christ, we applaud them. Don't we encourage them? When when, when people of, of fame and personality get in front of a microphone and give God glory and stuff, that encourages us even though we may, most people in the world will never know who we are It encourages our faith because they're like, well, that guy got up in front of millions of people or that gal got up in front of hundreds of millions of people and gave God glory for what happened. And it encourages us. And that's what God wants each of us to do with our lives because that's the way it works. God wants to see that mutual encouragement flowing back and forth between brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice he goes on in verse 13 to say, In addition to our own encouragement or refreshment, we rejoiced even more at the joy of Titus, because all of you in Corinth have refreshed his spirit. And I love this word refreshed. Here's what the word means. Permitting someone to recover 
and collect their strength. In a sense, it is giving someone permission to recover from what they've been through and to collect their strength. In fact, in the Old Testament, many times you will read the word stronghold in the Psalms, that God is a stronghold in days of trouble and whatever. The word stronghold is a descriptive word that means it's a place where I can run, it's a place where I can go to, and I can recover from what I've been through, and I can collect my strength to go on. Which is exactly what Second Corinthians is all about. Which is why we said it's a second wind, it's a refreshment book. Because that's exactly what the word refreshed means. Maybe here tonight, there are some of you that God is speaking into your life right now and saying, you know what, you need to find somebody or you need to find some place in your life where you can recover from what you've been through and give yourself permission to recover and collect some strength before you move on don't keep playing the the martyr the well i just got to keep plugging through i just got to put my head down and keep moving forward no the bible teaches there's times where it's okay to stop in that stronghold find where that stronghold is find who that stronghold is with and give ourselves permission to recover and collect our strength before we move on sort of look at it as a spiritual timeout taking time you know i'm taking time And then he goes on to say, verse 14, For if I have boasted to him, Titus, about anything concerning you, I've not been embarrassed by you. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting to Titus about what has proved true, about you has proved true as well. And his affection for you is much greater when he remembers the obedience of you all. Going back to, that's how we get a second win. They did it right. Once they found out what they should do, they did it, and God blessed them for it. And how you welcomed him, Titus, with fear and trembling. I want to stop there before we wrap this up tonight, because this is important. Paul acknowledges from Titus that Titus comes back and gives them the report, and one of the things that Titus shares with Paul is, Paul, when I got there, they were, they were fearful and trembling. And what he meant by that in the right way is this, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, that other word that's used, but when Paul uses this terminology, he's talking about something that we'll never escape from, nor should we ever escape from. It was actually a good thing. Let me just give you a personal example. Sometimes people think because I've been doing this for so long that I don't get nervous that I don't have any fear. And that's simply not true. In fact, some people, when I tell it, I don't think they believe me. Oh, Jeff, you look so comfortable up there. You don't look like you're afraid at all. I'm petrified. <laughs> and, and the reason I want to share that with people is I think some Christians get the idea that as long as I have fear, as long as I have these butterflies, as long as I, I, I have, you know, that lack of of whatever that somehow i shouldn't get out there and serve and minister and do this and do that can i just tell you that that don't let your fear keep you from doing what god has called you to do 
God understands it in a, in a way there's a right way because what we're doing is we're not trusting in ourselves. You know, we, we don't look at ourselves as being adequate, which is, goes along with the word trembling. The word trembling simply means a feeling of inadequacy to meet the demands. And that's what the Corinthians had. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because that's exactly the kind of people that God is looking for. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? Our adequacy is from God, not from us. And the kind of people that God really uses are those who feel inadequate. Because if they feel inadequate, that means God's going to get all the glory for it. That means they're not going to stand up and go, yeah, I did that, and that, that was all me, and no. And I want to encourage you tonight that if any of you are here and you're not stepping up to serve the Lord in some way or follow a calling of God on your life because somehow you feel you're inadequate, join the club. I've been inadequate for what God has called me to for 25 years. And I don't think there'll ever come a time, and I hope they ne- there never will come a time in my earthly life where somehow I get to the point where I feel adequate in and of myself to do what God's called me to do. Don't let your inadequacy hold you back from doing what God wants you to do. And don't allow the fear that you have to do it to hold you back either. I don't care whether it's whatever that is. All of us are going to have those fears, those butterflies those nerves. But God wants us to do it in spite of it. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing what I know I need to do in spite of the fear. And that's what God is calling us to. And that's why God wants to encourage us. So that even when we have that feeling of, I can't do this, and I'm not good enough, and I'm so nervous and whatever that we get up and we do it anyway because we're going to do it that time in God's power and we're going to totally rely on God and we're not going to rely on us and God says, that's just the people I'm looking for. That's why Paul closes chapter 7 with these words. I rejoice because in everything I am fully confident in you. And what Paul is simply saying here by the word confident is, The way you Corinthians have stepped up, you're making me more bold and courageous. Now, I want to keep going out there and and going on missions trips, and I want to continue to share the gospel with people because you guys are proof that it's real, that it works, that God blesses it, and all of that. You guys are emboldening me. You are giving me even more courage to keep on doing what God has called me to do because you did it right and you... It came back to me. And again, that's the way God wants it to work. God wants to use the encouragement that you have to to splash out on others. He he wants to use the, the courage that you are having to live your life a certain way to encourage and give courage to others. In fact, you can leave 2 Corinthians for tonight. I just want to go to one other verse. I want to take you to the book of Philippians tonight in closing. To show you another example from Paul's life where this dynamic happened. Actually, I'll read a couple verses here to get the context. Philippians chapter 1 beginning at verse 12. Just over a couple books to the right from 2 Corinthians. 
Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. Paul was in prison at this point. He says, the whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. And here's the key for tonight. And most of the brothers and sisters, not all, but most of the brothers and sisters are having greater confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Now more than ever, they are daring to speak up and speak out the word fearlessly. See, Paul is saying, there's the dynamic. That's the way it works. God wanted me to go into prison so that I could share the gospel with people that might not ever hear it if somebody wasn't in prison to tell them about Christ. And not only that, but now God has brought a double blessing. Now Paul says, I'm recognizing while I'm here in prison sharing the gospel with prisoners and with guards and everyone else, that on the outside I'm hearing that there are other Christians who are now becoming more bold and more fearless in their walk with God and in their witness. Because now they're saying, man, look at Paul. He's in prison, but man, he just keeps on trucking for the Lord. He's not... He's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed. He's not backing down on his commitment to Christ. So why should I? And now all of a sudden, Paul is recognizing that God now is also using his imprisonment not only to reach people for Christ, but he's using his imprisonment to encourage and give courage to other Christians to step up and begin to live as God calls us to live. And that same principle, folks, continues today. That God wants to encourage us and give us courage to stand up and do what's right to live for Christ, to not be ashamed of Christ, so that other Christians observing and hearing and listening to the way we live our lives can also be encouraged and emboldened and begin to live fearlessly as well. God wants to inspire us. And God can inspire us and encourage us on a level that's only Him. But many times, as we've learned tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Many times the instrument that God uses in our life to encourage us is another human being. And Paul is just saying to all of us, as he said to the Corinthians, I get the fact that you've been burned and hurt by other human beings, but don't shut your heart completely off to any human being because God may want to bring a human being into your heart, into your life to encourage you And if you completely close your heart off, you're going to close your heart off to the encouragement that God wants to give you in order to give you that second wind so that you and I can keep on moving forward in our walk with God. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a God who encourages the downhearted, those low to the ground. And God, I just pray tonight that if there are those here in this room tonight who have come in discouraged, downtrodden, that God, through Your Word tonight, through Your Spirit, and maybe even through someone here tonight, that You have begun to encourage them and that they are allowing You to encourage them through that. Because God, we also get the dynamic, that that you want to encourage us and give us courage so that we can in turn encourage others. 
And so God, as we leave here tonight, help us to reach out if we need encouragement. Help us not to believe the lie of the devil that that's a sign of weakness. We all need encouragement. And maybe also tonight, God has laid it on the hearts of some of us here tonight that there's a particular person in our life right now that we need to reach out and encourage as well. God, thank you for this encouragement. I pray that at least on Tuesday nights last for three weeks because that's how long we've got till we come back together. But God, thank you for the mind Bible study. Thank you for these folks who so faithfully come out every Tuesday. God, they will never know on this side of heaven how much of an encouragement they have been to me personally. So God, would, if nothing else, would you bless them and encourage them for all the encouragement they are and have been to me. And give us a couple weeks where maybe in some way we find a stronghold other than the mine, where we allow ourselves or give ourselves or someone else gives us permission to recover and collect our strength and help us to come back on March the 30th to dive back into the rest of this wonderful book of 2 Corinthians. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, have a great couple of weeks. I love you. I'll see you on March the 30th. Thank you.